You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Good to be with you guys. We're going to continue on in our message series today called Venture, so uh, get ready for that. You can open your Bibles if you want to, John chapter 2, um, and we'll, we'll get going there. Um, man, how's everybody doing? Yeah, and if you weren't doing good, you wouldn't tell me that, but yeah, it's fun. Well, hey, I hope North Valley can be a place where you can be honest and real. You know, uh, we try to keep it real here at the church. You know, this is a place where you can come to gather, to discover truth for life. Uh, so hopefully every day that you come here, uh, you, you receive God's, teach, uh, God's word uh, from, his, uh, from the scriptures and then you can apply it on Monday. You know, that's the goal. If it doesn't make sense on Monday, man, I don't know. I think we're wasting our time. So I think there's enough truth here that we're going to be able to walk away from to be able to put it into practice uh, starting on Monday. And uh, so uh, with that, discovering truth for life and then growing in your spiritual journey. I, I don't, wherever you're at, uh, we want this to be a place where you can start growing, taking steps forward, because life is a journey. There's ups, there's downs. Um, there's pain, there's challenges, uh, there's all sorts of issues that you're dealing with, frustrations, setbacks, and so it's a journey. Life is a journey, and that's part of the theme of this series called Venture, so that you need to understand that the Christian life, it's, it is an adventure, and you got to keep a positive mindset, realizing that God is doing something good all the time, and He really is, and you got to look for that. Uh, and work towards that. So that, and then just go on and make it a difference. And uh, one of the ways today that you can do that is we've got uh, these food boxes during the month of November. We're doing a food drive uh, for Deer Valley Unified School District food insecure families. We've got a, a small little uh, uh, opportunity for you. You could grab a box of uh, empty box on the way out of here today. It's got all the contents of the stuff that's uh, needed for these families. We've been doing this every year since the church got started. We've got a great relationship with a lot of the schools. We get contacted every year. They say, North Valley, could you please bring us some food uh, this holiday season so nobody goes hungry over the holidays. So uh, we'll do what we can. Uh, we've got the boxes out there uh, in the corner. You can grab one of those boxes before you leave here today if, that's, if you'd like to do that. It is a lot of fun when you go grocery shopping and you got kids or something because the kids get to get the food and put it in there. And we've heard really cool stories where kids from our church go to school and then they see friends or families connected to their, uh, you know, in their classrooms with the same boxes that our church delivered, putting them in their cars. And so there is a lot of food insecurity in the Deer Valley Unified School District. And so we as a church are going to be able to do that. Uh, that's November, December. We're going to be doing some cool stuff for uh, uh, the, the kids down in Mexico and then the Navajo Nation. So uh, November, you want to make a difference. That's just one small way you could do something like that. And then you can pick up the box on your way out, fill it up with food, and then uh, bring it back anytime during the month of November, and then we'll, we'll take it over uh, to the necessary schools and whatnot. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump in uh, to God's Word together. Heavenly Father, this is your church, and uh, we are gathered here today, Lord, to learn and to grow and to take some next steps forward. We pray that your Word would instruct us, teach us, reform us, uh, change us, Lord, uh, more and more for, Lord, really our good and really and truly all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but one in a four Americans will uh, identify themselves as practicing Christians. Uh, one in four. So that means about uh, 25% of the folks that you run around with, if you are in a, in a secular environment, not at a Christian school or just in a Christian bubble, um, one in four of your friends or Americans today will identify as Christians. Additionally, in Phoenix culture, we rank as one of the least biblically-minded cities in the country. Uh, with that statistic, we launched a, 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 a conference, a Bible conference, uh, several years ago with uh, uh, seminary professors from Denver, Dallas, uh, Phoenix, and then a couple of pastors here in the Valley. And we just learned in uh, that that churches are needing desperately to teach the Bible more consistently, more content of Scripture to the congregations if people will actually see and understand the Scriptures. Uh, Phoenix is deeply biblically illiterate, meaning they just don't understand what Bible is. Uh, they, when you quote Bible uh, or reference Bible, many folks don't understand that it is actually Bible. Um, they might tell you John 3.16, but that's about it. So with that being said is, and then again, one in four Americans are practicing Christians. So we are uh, kind of growing as a culture. We're seeing an increased uh, secularism uh, all throughout our country and America. And I've told you this before, but we are not in a, um, uh, where Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian uh, morals, ethics, worldview is the predominant worldview anymore. Uh, we are also in a post-truth culture, uh, which means that it doesn't matter what is true. Uh, it, uh, we've kind of walked away uh, from truth as a strong uh, guideline for ourselves, and truth does not win the battle in the end against culture. Um, and I've advocated at this church, we have to do the Jesus thing and do full of grace and full of, help me out, truth. You got, you got to be both, full of grace and full of truth. And so today, what I want to do, um, we're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We're going to look at a passage. This follows right after Jesus uh, having, uh, he's, he's uh, 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 performed the wedding in John chapter 2, uh, turned water into wine. We love that scene. That was awesome. Jesus and his joy, festivity and fun. Then all of a sudden we see in John chapter 2 where Jesus uh, cleanses the temple, goes into the temple, sitting in the back of the service, braiding a whip, sees all the corruption, whoops, whoops, starts driving people out and, uh, and, and, uh, and cleanses the temple. Um, and what's unique about that, if, if you recall, I told you, Jesus did that on the front end of his ministry and he did it on the back end as well. And so today we pick up right after that scene where Jesus has cleansed the temple and the Jewish folks, the religious folks, imagine the exodus out of the temple, uh, hanging out and uh, perhaps going, okay, this is Jesus. Uh, he's a wild man. He just drove th uh, perhaps thousands of people out of the temple. And now he's uh, sitting around the outer sides of the temple and there's a conversation. Let's pick up verse 18. So the Jews said to him, um, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Uh, they were wanting to see some more miracles. Uh, Jesus is obviously the spotlight is on him. And Jesus answered 
them and said, perhaps pointing at the temple or perhaps pointing at himself, uh, he says, destroy, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days uh, I will raise it up. Verse 20, then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? Uh, They were confused as to what was going on And John, the apostle, gives us a little commentary and insight. Verse 21. Uh, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Uh, When when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus referred to not the physical temple that he was just in and cleansed, but himself as the temple. And Jesus is the new temple. Uh, He is the the place uh, where worship exists. And so what Jesus does is he, he says, destroy this temple, looking back at verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. A rumor got out that he was talking about the uh, the temple, the actual temple, not his body, and it perpetuated to the day of his uh, crucifixion. Um, he was uh, uh, supposedly, uh, they, they obviously had misinterpreted him. This is how gossip and slander gets out. But Jesus was referring to his own body. John points that out. Um, in verse 23, uh, we see, uh, or back, I'm sorry, back at verse 22, It says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, John kind of fast forwards here, and he says, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples uh, remembered. So they remembered this prophecy uh, that Jesus had talked about, that he would die, that he would be buried, and then he would raise again on the third day. And the result was uh, that he had said this, they helped me out, they what? They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus prophesied about himself and the events that were to take place in his life, and they remembered and they believed. Now, one of the key themes in the Gospel of John is belief. And the challenge is, is that we're going to look at today is how genuine is our belief. Uh, Watch this in verse 23. It says that now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast... Many, say that word with me again, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Uh, Jesus uh, was perhaps doing many miracles that maybe uh, are not recorded in the Gospel of John, because if you fast forward to the end of the Gospel of John, uh, it talks about, uh, John writes down and says there were so many other things that Jesus did. There's not a library in the world that could contain all these things. Uh, Jesus is a miracle worker. Uh, the signs that are referred to in the Gospel of John are miracles, and you'll see that. Uh, it's also the book of seven signs, um, and they're miracles. Um, and it, they're intended to help people believe. But uh, how many of you would say that you've seen a miracle in your life? Would you raise your hand? Um, how many of you would say that you've, you've seen people that would testify to seeing God do something really powerful, really wonderful, but then walk away from the faith? Raise your hand. People that have just kind of walked away from the faith. Yeah, a good number of you. And Jesus is kind of realizing that there's a lot of folks that when miracles happen, they believe just for a little bit, but they don't really truly believe. 
Um, verse 24, watch this. But Jesus, on his part, uh, did not entrust himself to them. So there was a lot of people that believed, and then Jesus isn't going to buy it. He doesn't entrust himself to them because he knew all people. What does that mean? It means that he knows that the human heart, as the prophet Jeremiah says, is wicked and deceptive, uh, and there's all sorts of things that go on in uh, the heart. Uh, You can say with your mouth that you believe in Jesus, but in your heart, you really don't. And so Jesus knew what was going on with these people. Verse 25, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So here's the theme of the message today is examine your faith. I want to challenge you to examine uh, your faith. Uh, It is so important to do this. Um, Here is a passage that startled me when I first became a Christian. I started realizing maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I was just uh, believing something that's good to get me out of trouble and uh, maybe I'm really, uh, Jesus really isn't real, and I started to question many things. This is what the Apostle Paul challenged the church in Corinth to do. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Um, Jesus did not entrust himself to these people that supposedly believed because they were not genuine believers. And so today, what I want to do is kind of discuss what does it look like to examine ourselves? Is it possible for someone to believe in Jesus, but yet that belief is not a saving belief, so much so that Jesus himself, despite anybody saying, I believe in Jesus, Jesus says, well, I'm not going to save that person. Um, I believe so. Uh, Because the scripture told us earlier that Jesus would not entrust himself because he knew all people. He knew what was in the heart of man. Saying one thing and really believing it deep down is two totally different things. I mean, it is important to confess with with your mouth that you love Jesus Christ and you live for Jesus, but only God really knows what's going on inside your heart. And so today what we're doing is examining our own faith. And so here's three questions that I've been thinking about over the week that I think could help you evaluate your faith. Number one is where are you seeing, or where, ask yourself this question, uh, where am I seeing progress in my faith? Um, I remember uh, years ago, uh, we had a a gentleman that was uh, a uh, growing in his faith, but a lot slower than you would have hoped. And that's pretty normal, right? Anybody got some family members or maybe you, you wish that you were growing a lot faster than you are. And then the question can come is, well, is that person genuinely saved or not? Well, if there's making progress in the faith, then that's a good thing. And it could be little steps. Uh, many times folks, when they come to uh, church at North Valley and say it's for the first time, uh, well, they went to church last year zero times. This, this year, it's two times, Christmas and Easter, and there you go. And I tell our staff, and I say, would you, would you at least applaud them? 
And they say, well, we, we have nicknames for the uh, folks that do Christmas and Easter's. They're called the CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. That's what, that's what we call those folks. So in the church world, you always got these little, these little uh, Christianese little ideas. But in my, my heart is, is, well, praise God, because that person was here twice, then the year before, zero. And so maybe next year, it's three times. And so um, that's just in, in, there's this desire. And, but some people, right? When you come to faith in Christ, it's a radical transformation really, really fast. I mean, we've seen this a lot where people like, they didn't go to church at all. All of a sudden they get saved, they get baptized, and their faith is on full throttle. And you're like, man, that was night and day different. That's amazing. But not everybody is the same. And I think what can happen is uh, we can really question our, our faith if we fail to just see progress. Um, because the Christian life is not about perfection, it's actually about progress. Um, and if you think it is about perfection, then you are going to be uh, steeped in guilt uh, uh, and, and uh, probably condemnation and struggling a lot. You have to see progress over your faith and over your loved ones, the people that you see around you that you're perhaps praying for, or your friends or your family. And just realize that's the question is, where am I seeing progress Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi. He says, and I'm sure of this, Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is that, um, that God is going to do something in you. Um, if you. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ and it's genuine, then God is at work in you. And this is, uh, so there's kind of, uh, the, the theological term is called sanctification. Let's all say that together. Sanctification, big word. And what it means is, is that um, basically that you're growing in holiness. And so how do you grow in holiness? When I said earlier, this is a place where you're going to discover truth for life and grow in your spiritual journey, the theological phrase is sanctification. And what I mean by that is that um, there's two parts to sanctification. One is, is the active part in which you do, meaning you decide to wake up, get out of bed, read your Bible, you read the Bible, uh, you pray, you come to church, you're actively engaged. You decide to give for the first time, you decide to serve and give your time, and you're growing. That's actively uh, sanctifying uh, yourself in a sense. God's really doing all the work, but you're, but you're the one taking the action. Then this scripture tells us something that's incredibly good for us to understand is that Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began, he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. What that means is, is for the believer that even if you're not actively working on yourself, God is working on you. That's what that means. Um, this has been more popular in more reformed cultures and churches to highlight the grace of God and the goodness of God, that there is good work going on in you despite your work that you're working on yourself. And the, what I want to encourage you to do is, number one, to examine your faith is ask the question, where are you seeing progress? Um, this scripture is the idea that is that there's a passive work of sanctification. Just by simply believing in Jesus Christ, he's working on you. 
He's changing your thoughts, your, your desires, and the older you get as a believer, there should be some level of kind of um, God's goodness and grace just working into your life, getting you to think, approach, do things a little bit differently. So the question is, is where am I seeing progress in my faith? Number two would be this question would be is how am I convicted over evil and sin? I, I mentioned this in months past or weeks past where I talked about how this is so important uh, in our culture is that we delight in evil rather than hate evil uh, too often times. Um, the question is, is um, examine your faith. Are you con, uh, con, convicted over evil and sin? If you are never convicted over evil and sin, I would be concerned that Jesus Christ does not live in you, that you are not genuinely saved. Genuine believers, listen to me, genuine believers grieve over their personal sin, over evil in the world, or perhaps they are so deadened or numbed or desensitized that they're really drifting, and it's a very, very dangerous place to be. Um, question is, to examine your faith, is how am I convicted over evil and sin? Um, I've been pushing on uh, just challenging you uh, to evaluate the media intake that you take in, and by that I'm just saying everything that you put into your mind, uh, from TV to Netflix to Amazon, all that. And I watch Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, whatever, I'm not against media. I think media is a powerful tool for good, yet it is also a powerful tool for evil. Amen? It's very evident. It's very evident. And so what, what I want to encourage you to do is ask this question, though. How am I convicted over evil and sin? And where you are kind of concerned that something bad is happening in your life or you're seeing something and you're not concerned about it, that should be a concern. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I remember when I first uh, really openly uh, walked away from the Christian faith. I was a very uh, young teenager, and I literally denounced the work of Jesus Christ in my life. I denounced any work of the Holy Spirit. I rebuked Jesus Christ. I rebuked any authority, and I wasn't sure if Jesus was truly real or not, but I figured if he was, I wanted him to leave me alone. I did all that, and then I said to my friends, I don't believe any of that stuff. I'm living however I want, and my life took on a series of turns of darkness that was really weird, and then even my unchristian friends that were doing bad things said to me, Ryan, you've gone to a whole new level of, like, darkness, um, and what's sad is I've seen some Christians um, that kind of move into uh, shades of gray, uh, maybe pun intended, uh, for uh, their, their Christian living, and their conviction over evil or sin is so low that it doesn't seem like you're wondering, like, what is going on? It, do they care about these things? Um, the Bible tells us is that word, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, says this, uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is where you want your heart to be all the time. Uh, a heart full of love, a heart full of um, a love for God, a love for people. 
Um, love does not delight in evil. Notice that word, delight. That's an issue of the heart, but it rejoices with the truth. Um, I had a friend uh, recently, I, I called him and I, I said, hey, man, this happened. I don't think it went as good as you, uh, as we all intended it. And my friend responded and he said, thank you so much for calling me. Thank you for reproving me. Thank you for correcting me and training me in righteousness. This guy's quoting Bible. And I say, who does that? Do you know who does that? People who love truth. People who love truth. Um, this is why uh, when uh, we do evaluations at, at our church and assessments, I say, hey, let's talk about the good things that happened. Let's talk about the things that didn't happen so good. Why? Because we love truth. Um, I love this Bible verse. Love does not delight, meaning something that your heart gets excited about, rejoices about. Love does not delight in evil. What around you is evil? What around you are you listening to, watching, what all that you're doing? Uh, love does not delight in evil. Jesus said it like this. He says, uh, the world will know your disciples by the way you, help me out, love one another. So uh, the two greatest commandments, love the, Lord your God, your, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. What connects the two greatest commandments, which sums up everything in the Christian journey, is love. So uh, as Christians, and again, the church will lose its influence if love does not become a powerful theme. And if we love what is wrong, then we're totally going to be messed up. So the question is, how am I convicted over evil and sin? Let us, uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Number three, here's the third question. Are, are my desires for what is good and godly growing? And if so, How? Are my desires for what is good and godly growing? If so, how? Um, I, I think this is an important question to ask yourself to see where you're at because um, it shows progress. Uh, if you desire uh, to read God's word just a little bit more than you did last year, good. If you don't, just pray and say, God, would you change my desires? Uh, it, are my desires for what is good and godly growing? If, if so, how? Here's a passage of scripture that's been encouraging to me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, what does that mean? What that means is, is that when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there was a conversion that took place. Uh, that your desires got rewired. And so uh, what's happened is now you are operating in a divine design that God has placed you in, uh, purposed you in, and you are becoming most fully human when you worship your creator. We were designed for worship. Uh, you feel best when you worship. This is why I don't have a problem challenging people to give, to serve, because I believe fundamentally that the Bible teaches that when we're serving God, loving him, showing that love through action, then we're actually going to be the most satisfied, the most joyful, the most effective, the most blessed. Like, that's good stuff. This teaches us, this passage is that upon conversion, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's an old that's gone and a new that has come. And you have access to all that. And the desires that you have for things that, of the past, um, those things need to be, uh, you need to realize that the power 
of the sin of the past has been broken. You have a new freedom in Jesus Christ. You have power over sin. You have access to live a life in victory. And so these desires have been rewired. Um, And I think there's what we can look at in transitioning from this idea of examining the faith is let's talk about faith just for a moment. Um, The Apostle James perhaps does uh, one of the greatest uh, little um, kind of uh, lays out some teaching uh, about uh, faith, and uh, I'll just highlight it to you. James chapter 2, you can read this later this week, but I'm going to highlight three kinds of faith that James talks about. First, there is a dead faith. So is it possible for Christians to say that they believe in God, but really their life doesn't represent it? And really, there's no genuine belief. I I think so. Uh, The apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, called this a dead faith. He said, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's look at that passage of scripture. Um, James, the apostle of Jesus, says this, that uh, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, there's plenty of people that give Uh, lip service to Jesus, but don't do life service. And if you truly believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, then your life ought to show it. Um, There is a number of believers in our country, in our churches, in our communities that say they are believers, but Jesus himself says, I won't entrust myself to them. I'm not going to entrust myself to them. That's exactly what he said in the text that we just read. What kind of believers are they? It's a dead faith. It's a faith that's by cultural affiliation. Um, if you've ever been down to Dallas, Texas, it's, got one of the, it's one of the anomalies of the church world. There is a megachurch on every corner. I believe that is not a spiritual phenomenon. It is a social phenomenon. Uh, because in the South, if you are not a part of a Protestant church, something's wrong with you. Uh, church is a place to network, Church is a place to uh, kind of feel good, and, and, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of great churches down there, and we were a part of a very large church down there. However, there's a lot of dead faith, and James, the brother of Jesus, would have been very, very close to Jesus. Um, they share the same mother. Um, James's father is Joseph. Uh, Jesus's father is God the Father. Um, James would have known very closely. And James, by the way, is uh, in the inner circle. You have Peter, James, and John. James says that basically, hey, let's get this right, Christians. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Uh, It is very possible for many believers to say, I believe in Jesus their whole lives, but there's no fruit in their lives, no progress, and their faith is dead. That's not a saving faith. This is not a saving faith. This kind of faith does not lead towards salvation. Then there is a demonic faith. James uh, highlights this very clearly, and what he's saying is, is there is a faith that exists that is just uh, demonic. And here's what he says. He says, okay, uh, verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Well, even the demons believe and shudder. What does he mean by that? What he means is, is that the demons, these are fallen angels um, that once were a part of uh, the angelic heavenly angels, when they fell, um, they get new names, they're demons, and they work for Satan. 
And what uh, James is saying is belief isn't enough. Just a simple belief isn't enough. Demons in hell believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is who he is. They just will not submit to him as their Lord. Is it possible uh, for many believers to have a dead faith and they're joining in the ranks with the demonic to just have a faith that's completely, truly disengaged from a lordship where Jesus Christ is the Lord, you serve him. I've told you at this church so many different times, as believers, we are servants to the king. We serve our King Jesus. Uh, uh, we, are, we should not be awaiting for a political superpower to change in, in uh, our world all for, for the ultimate good. We should uh, long for King Jesus to return and to rectify and restore all things. Um, there is a demonic faith. And then number three, there is a dynamic faith. And the dynamic faith is the faith that is a saving faith. So let's look at that. Number three, dynamic faith. In James 2, verse 22, uh, he's referencing the idea where Abraham is used as an example of a dynamic faith where he uh, practiced what he believed. He was challenged uh, to, uh, with an incredible act of sacrifice and trusting God uh, for a, to sacrifice his son. Uh, he lays him on the altar an angel intercedes and says, your faith is strong. You were going to do anything that God said. And the angel says, don't do it. And James uses him as an example. Uh, and he says this. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. This is a challenging passage. In fact, Martin Luther, the reformer, um, the, who, uh, you know, I've, I've referenced many different times, he hated this passage uh, because many Catholics love this passage. And the reason why they love this passage is because works are such a part of the religious system. But James is, the Apostle James is bringing up a very, very, very important point to basically say that faith has got to be active. Faith is not inactive. It needs to be dynamic. It needs to be moving. Uh, and so what I want to challenge you as a church, just like I did last week, is your faith. You need to examine your faith. What if you were one of the folks in the crowd with the Jews and you believed in Jesus and then Jesus looks at you and says, I'm not entrusting myself to you. Um, there are so many believers uh, that are deceived because their faith is dead. Um, and they don't truly uh, live out their faith. If you really believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord, then your faith ought to be active along with works. Uh, and, and by that, it's a genuine faith. It's dynamic. The word dynamic that I chose is the idea, I was a rock climber for many years. There's static ropes and dynamic ropes. A static rope has no give. Dynamic rope stretches. So if you fall, you take a whipper and you fall 20 to 30 feet on a, a dynamic rope, it'll stretch another five to eight feet. With a static rope, it's not stretching. And your back will probably pop and break if you fell. Um, so dynamic faith is this. I highlighted this last week, but I'll just give three components to it. A dynamic faith shares. A dynamic faith shares about what Jesus is doing. It's constantly dynamic. Um, churches that grow are dynamic. 
They have a dynamic faith. There's a congregation that's dynamic. They're going to share about Jesus. And so I challenged you last week. I said, look, if this is your church home, Jesus is truly your Lord. Then you share with other folks to invite them to church or share your faith with them at some level. I challenge you three unchurched people a month that you would invite and, and just to or share about your faith in some way. And to be a witness is simply sharing what you've seen Jesus do. Um, a dynamic faith shares, and what our culture needs more now than ever is you sharing about your faith. Uh, you shouldn't be silent right now. You should be speaking up. You should be saying things, not just in controversy, but get to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Tell him about what he's doing in your life. Tell him how the Bible impacts your life and your marriage and your business. Um, share. A dynamic faith shares. Secondly, uh, dynamic faith stretches. It's, that's just the idea. It, uh, James said this very same thing. It's active, that, that we need to be doing things. This is why even this little box of food, it's an act that hopefully triggers and has a ripple effect for other acts in your life, that you're constantly thinking about uh, other people. I did a research uh, uh, months ago. We did a series. I forget the name of it, but we were talking about how we think about ourselves so much. And it's like we literally, as people, think about ourselves. Some like 90% of the time, we're thinking about ourselves, not other people. And we need to be stretched. And we can be stretched in the area of giving. We can be stretched in the area of serving. Um, I heard a story recently, too, about somebody uh, last week who got a, uh, heard the message, and I challenged you. I said, man, uh, we need as a church to give towards our campus development fund because we're building out that front building, and um, I sure would be upset and, and concerned as a lead pastor if, uh, if we realized that the majority of our church wasn't contributing towards that project. A lot of you guys are new to the church as a result of just the COVID shuffle and a result of our times. I get it. And so you're new here. Um, we need to stretch ourselves. But I heard a story of a guy who said, you know what, we're going to give to the campus development fund above and beyond our uh, regular tithes and offerings, which that's the way to do it. And then within an hour or two of that decision, they receive a text message and their boss said, you're getting a raise. Unbeknownst to the individual. Here's what, I, here's what I do know about this. Listen to me. When you decide that you're gonna live a dynamic faith, you're gonna be stretched. And it's gonna be hard. But I do know this, that God is always so good. And when you leave, live a dynamic faith, it is so much fun. As a rock climber, I hated climbing on static ropes. I wanted to have such an experience that it would be so awesome and so fun that give me the freedom to climb, take a fall, not get hurt. I would be okay. The Christian life is intended to be a dynamic faith, not a dead faith. Uh, it's to be a dynamic faith. Uh, and it's not dynamic unless you stretch yourself. You literally have to push yourself to live in an area where you're stretched. It could be serving. It could be giving up your time. It could be giving. It could be opening your mouth and stretching your, yourself to say, I'm going to go out there and share with them about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Last area is the serve. Uh, the dynamic faith is one that serves. I just want to clarify last week I said um, about serving one and attending one. And let me clarify what I mean by this. I don't mean that every single Sunday you need to be here and serve and attend. What I do mean 
is that every time you come to church and you serve, you attend. And when you serve, you're attending one and serving one. And why I am asking you to do that as a church is because you can give it your all in all if you're totally focused. But if you're coming to attend and serve and then just leave, it's harder on our ministry teams and it doesn't serve our guests near as well. And for those of you guests, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have our volunteers and, uh, uh, give you 100% or just 50%? You know, and for our kids and for our folks. So we care tremendously. So again, uh, I want to just clarify that. I didn't want to over, uh, uh, I, didn't, I wanted to make sure that you understood what I was saying. Attend one, serve one is saying that if you're going to serve, you, is serve uh, you come and you serve the full service as much as you can. And then you attend that same Sunday. Um, But I want to challenge you today that you live a dynamic faith. And like Jesus um, brought in some insight for us to see that not everyone who says they believe is a genuine believer. And that you and I need to examine our faith and evaluate it and say, am I living a dynamic faith or is my faith just dead? Because the saving faith is the dynamic faith. Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. And so how much fruit? Well, you think about the the thief on the cross, the only fruit he had was the fruit of belief. And he just said, Lord, I believe. And Jesus says, today I'll see you in paradise. But it was more than what happened the day before. So there was progress. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. I do pray that we would live a dynamic faith and uh, we examine our lives. And Father, for all those that are uncertain of their salvation, may today be the day where they say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior, and I submit to you, Lord, as the King. Take full control of my life. I want you to guide me, direct me. I believe you are are God, that you forgive, and that you heal and restore, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.